0: Okay. For our first scripture, now that you've had time to find it in the Bible, I'm not going to be reading from the Bible in the pews. I'm going to be using the message. So you can try to follow along, but my experience with the message is, well, good luck. (laughs) This is from Paul's letter to the Romans, the fifth chapter. We're going to begin right at the first verse. And I would encourage you to... Just kind of sit back and listen and and sort of let the the poetry of this translation give you a new way of of looking at this passage. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, that has set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come we continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is from the book of Psalms. And this one I am using the The NRSV translation, so you should be able to follow along a little bit better with this one. But we'll be reading all of Psalm 8 this morning. Listen for God's word to you. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark against Sorry, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet, you have made them a little lower than God. And crown them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Here ends the reading of God's holy word for us this morning. I wanted to read that Romans passage from a translation that you don't often hear because the way we normally hear that passage, suffering produces endurance. Endurance leads to character. Character leads to hope, and hope does not disappoint us. It's so often used To guilt people and shame people who are already going through enough. It can be used to make people think that they should be finished with grief. That they should have moved on from being mad at God for what they're going through. I've heard this passage turn grief and anger and depression and sorrow into sinful things, acts that people are committing that are sinful. It's sinful to be depressed. It's sinful to grieve. I've heard it used to turn those things into things that we should be ashamed of. Because if you haven't moved on, well, then you've got no character. And we know that it's only sinners who don't have character. So I wanted to read it in a different translation to kind of free it from from all of that baggage, from all of those harmful ways that it's been used. Because we all grieve. We've all felt anger at God. We've all felt sorrow. And getting past it is not what this Romans passage is about. In fact... The passage in Romans is really about a war that's going on constantly, a war that's constantly raging for God and for those that have peace with God against the suffering and the grief and the brokenness that is just everywhere in the world. It's about what do we do? How do we continue to find the face of God in the face of news headlines and the battles that we fight in our own lives? How do we find the face of God when we're hemmed in by troubles? Because those headlines can make us feel really small and and helpless, you know? What can I do to change things? I mean, even the good articles, right? You you read about those girls from Pittsburgh who opened up an orphanage in Haiti, or about um, Jim Withers, who actually is a member over at Second UP, he's a doctor at Mercy Hospital, who spends his life traipsing around under the bridges of Pittsburgh seeking out homeless people so he can treat their illnesses and hand them a bottle of water. I told you she was going to be my amen section today. I told you. I warned you. You know, even those good news stories have us thinking, I could never do that. I mean, who am I? I could never do anything like that. Who am I to change the world? That's just not possible for me in my own little existence. Our own sufferings make us feel alone, like we've been swallowed up by these giant problems. And while, you know, on some level we want people to help us and and notice and give us comfort, on another level we're embarrassed by our suffering. We're a little bit ashamed of it because, you know, there's a little bit of, I must have done something to deserve this and What if I have to ask for help some other time? Will they say no? I don't have the energy when I'm suffering, when I'm hemmed in by troubles, to put myself out there and open myself up to being rejected in addition to all the stuff that I'm going through. And, you know, they've got problems too, and their problems might be more than mine, so I don't want to bother them. Who am I to ask for help? It calls to mind, whenever I first was reading this Romans passage this week, it really, that quote from um, Henry David Thoreau's book Walden. I don't know if any of you guys had to read that in high school. But he has this quote in there, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Walden, you know, he, he... Thoreau was was a guy who decided to go off the grid, as they say nowadays. He lived in a cabin on the side of Walden Pond for years. Because what he saw around him was how every, every individual person feels trapped in some way. That's what he saw. Trapped by family, trapped by career but especially trapped by having to scrape together some form of getting through the week. And because we're trapped by that, we're never then able to get the opportunity to improve ourselves, which is really what he was into, to suck the marrow out of life, as he puts it. You know, our heads are down most days. We're in, we're in our own bubbles Usually, aren't we? We're just trying to get through the baby's latest cold or the big report that seems to be never-ending at work. Or the isolation and the loneliness because the phone hasn't rung all day. And what am I going to do for dinner because the fridge is empty and I really don't have the energy to go out and get something. And, ugh, this house is a mess. And I really should get to that thing over there. You know, we spend most of our days sort of trapped in the doldrums of day-to-day life. I mean, who are we that God should be mindful of us? Who are we that God should care for us? It's hard to ask for help from others when when we've convinced ourselves that we're not worthy of the attention of the one who created us. Who are we that God should care for us? And yet, I'm getting to it. And yet, God does. That's what the psalm tells us. I mean, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I. I but it's true. God is excited about you. God is enthralled and entranced by you, by your life. We're the pinnacle of creation. Us, with our worries and our hang-ups and our baggage and our troubles and our sufferings and our grief, God has made us just a little lower than himself. And he's put us in charge down here. Who am I? Who am I? I'm made by God. Yes, you are. You're made by God and God is interested in you. If she wants me to preach to her, I'll just preach to her. I'm made by God and God is interested in me. Let that sink in for a second. I am made by God, and God is ecstatic and interested in me. I had a friend who was really going through some stuff. We'll just say stuff. And, And she said, you know, whenever I feel like I'm out on that vast ocean, with nothing but my little life raft, I think about that other person who only has a plank of wood to cling to. Eh, wrong. Right there. That kind of thinking, wrong. God is interested in you. God wants to know how your day went. And the answer is, "Oh, fine, I guess. What'd you do? Nothing. Is not the response God wants to hear. Same way, it's not the response I want to hear from my kid. Come to me, all who are weary, Jesus says. Do not minimize your problems before God, He's not the one to minimize your problems to. Come to me, all who are weary. Jesus says. Not all who are weary enough. And I've got a checklist to determine if you're weary enough to be worthy of laying your burdens on me. No, that's not what he says. All who are weary. God is enthralled by your life. God is interested in you. See, sin and we have to we have to get rid of the idea that sin is only stuff that we do wrong. Sin is the water that we swim in. And sin and this broken world that we find ourselves in, they try to make us feel alone. Divide and conquer, right? It's not enough to take to God. I can handle it. God's got bigger problems. I mean, he's God after all. I'll just sit here and try and deal with it myself. Just try and get through the day. I got it. You know, heads down, collar up. Try not to bump into anyone else. God is interested in you. He made you only a little bit lower than himself because God wants to be In your life. In relationship with you. If we share with God, if we let God in, here's the tricky part. Once we start sharing with God, then God starts to work on us. God starts, how does the translation of Romans put it? Let me see. God starts to forge us. Forging that tempered steel. When we start to share with God, God starts forging that tempered steel of virtue, of character. When we answer God's question, How was your day? With the actual contents of our day, God might ask other questions. (laughs) You know, in my experience, God is, is a really good listener. Have you ever talked to someone who's a really good listener? A really good listener, they don't ever usually tell you straight out what to do directly. Do they? Like when you go to them for advice, they never never just say, after hearing you speak for three minutes, well, here's what you should do. No, they ask you other questions. They ask you really probing questions. They just listen. And then ask these really good follow-up questions so that eventually you come to your own advice all by yourself. That's what God does when we start sharing with God. We all get hemmed in by troubles, and those troubles move from being trouble into patient endurance and into that hopeful alertness that God is doing something in the middle of the troubles. That movement only starts if we share those troubles with God. Loudly. Because God is interested in you. Paul says we shout our praise to God in the middle of feeling God's grace and glory. And we shout our praise to God in the middle of troubles. The point is, we shout. Not heads down, collar up, just trying to get through the day. I'm going to leave you with this image. AJ and I go to a music group on Monday mornings, and it's a bunch of infants and toddlers, and most of them are about two or three. And we always start the class out with the same song, and you, you know start patting your legs, and you go, Hello, everybody, so glad to see you. Hello. It's, you know, it's a happy, simple song. And one week, this little boy, he's about two or three, comes in with his mom, and he is just full of feelings. And there's been some disagreement on the way in. Like his mom hadn't let him push the elevator button or, you know, one of those toddler problems on which the world hinges, you know, some activity that's necessary for life, and he didn't get to do it. So his mom plunks down on the carpet next to me, and he is just full-blown tantrum, screaming his head off. And the teacher starts the song, and the mom drags this this boy under her lap, and he starts wailing at the top of his lungs, Hello, everybody! I'm so glad to see you! And we're all trying really hard not to laugh at him. Sometimes that's how we have to talk to God. These words of praise and love to God. I'm so glad to see you shouted in full-throated misery. Sometimes that's how we have to talk to God. Because at least we're singing, right? At least we're communicating. As little sense as it's making, we're letting God know, right? I'm so glad to see you. God does not want a people living lives of quiet desperation, isolated and alone in our own little bubbles. God does not want a people who keep their heads down, who are trying not to make waves, who are trying not to get noticed, even when we're hemmed in by troubles, especially when we're hemmed in by troubles. God is engrossed in you, enthralled by you. Who are we? We're the ones God created. Only a little lower. So that we can have that relationship. So that we can shout to God in our joys and in our troubles that's what we were created for, for relationship with God. We were created so that we could share with God. So let's, as I, as I come to a close here, let's lift up our heads and lift up our voices. Let's not keep anything from God because it's not worthy of God's attention. It's all worthy of God's attention. God is just engrossed in our lives. He's fascinated by us. So let's not keep anything from God. Would you please uh, stand for our hymn? I know it's How Great Thou Art. It's number four in the hymn book. Would you please stand and join in singing?